Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons on Paul's letter to the Philippians, and I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 as we read the verses 19 through 24. And these verses also form the text for the sermon. Let us hear the word of God. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, but not the things which are of Christ Jesus. For you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So far the word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, one of the greatest pleasures in life is receiving news that a friend or a loved one is coming for a visit. And that's especially the case when we have not seen them for a long time. Something like that is occurring in our text. As we've heard in previous sermons, Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians while he was in prison in Rome, and he was awaiting the outcome of his trial. Present with him was his protege and assistant Timothy, who had accompanied Paul in several of his missionary journeys. Because of their love for Paul, the Philippians sent Epaphroditus, one of their leaders, and possibly even the pastor of the church at Philippi, to visit with Paul and to deliver him a monetary gift to help sustain him while he was in prison. And it's likely that in sending Epaphroditus to Paul, the Philippians were hoping that Paul would send Timothy to them not only to bring news of Paul and his well-being, but also to minister to them for a time. For the Philippians loved Timothy almost as much as they loved the Apostle Paul. He was with Paul when the church was established several years ago. During his time there, a bond formed between the Philippians and Timothy. And for that reason, they were eager to have him come to them. And the Apostle knew this. And he also agreed. Now with this in mind, let's consider the words of our text. Under this theme, Paul announces the coming of Timothy. And we'll consider, first of all, the submission he displays. Secondly, the explanation he provides. And thirdly, the encouragement he anticipates. Paul, in our text, announces the coming of Timothy. Now who was Timothy? Timothy was a native either of Derby or Lystra in Asia Minor. These are two little towns in the Roman province of Galatia. His mother was a Jew by the name of Eunice, and his grandmother's name was Lois, and both of them were believers in Christ. His father was a Greek, and for that reason, Timothy was not circumcised. Paul first met Timothy while he was on his first missionary journey. And by the time he met him, Timothy was already a Christian, 
probably through the influence of his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois, although we have no way of knowing that for sure. According to Acts 16, verse 2, Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and at Iconium. Paul was also impressed with him, so impressed that he wanted to take him along with him on his journey. And Timothy agreed, and he even agreed to become circumcised so that he could minister more effectively to the Jews. Well, During their time together, Timothy became very dear to Paul. He speaks of him in his writings as his beloved and faithful son in the Lord, his son in the faith, his true child, his brother, his fellow worker. He was with Paul in Philippi. He was with him in Thessalonica, in Berea, in Corinth, in Ephesus, and in Rome. He was associated with Paul in the writing of some of his epistles, such as First and Second Thessalonians, and Second Corinthians, and Colossians, and Philippians, and Romans. Throughout this time, he was of great use to the Apostle Paul. and He did whatever was asked of him. If Paul sent him somewhere, he went. If Paul wanted to take him along with him, he went along. If Paul wanted to leave him behind, he stayed. He was completely devoted to Paul and to the work of the church of Jesus Christ. Well, this was the man whom the Philippians desired to come and to minister to them. And since he loved them so much, Paul was only too happy to oblige. We read of that in verse 19. He says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. You know, you notice the word shortly here. Paul would send Timothy, but not quite yet. Why not yet? Well, Paul gives us a clue in verse 23. He writes there, I hope to send him, that is Timothy, at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. Now, Paul here was probably referring to the outcome of his trial. Although, according to chapter 1, verse 25, Paul was confident that he would soon be released, he had no way of knowing that for sure. If things went contrary to his expectation and he was executed, there would be much to do, which would make Timothy's presence all the more essential. Consequently, he believed it best if Timothy remained behind for just a little while longer. But as soon as he could, he would send him. Now notice, however, what Paul writes here. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Paul adds this phrase, in the Lord Jesus. Why does he do that? What does he mean by this? Well, there are several interpretations, but it's probably best to interpret this phrase to express subjection to the Lord's approval. And so what Paul is saying is this, I hope if it is the Lord's will to send Timothy to you shortly. You see, Paul understood that everything that we do in life is subject to the Lord's will, even his decision to send Timothy to Philippi. And that's because everything in this life is uncertain. You and I have no idea whether our plans will ever come to fruition. We don't even know whether we will see tomorrow, for we could die at any time. Consequently, we must acknowledge that everything that we do is subject to the will of God. To fail to do so is foolish arrogance and pride. James comments on this in James 4, verse 13 to 16. 
James says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Oh, my friends, do you realize that today? Now, this doesn't mean, of course, that we need to add the phrase, the Lord willing, every time we say we're going to do something. Paul here is describing an attitude and an outlook on life. He's saying, I can make all the plans in the world, but unless it is the Lord's will, nothing will come of it. And so we have something to learn here from the Apostle Paul. Let us learn that everything we do is subject to the Lord's will. And let us entrust ourselves wholly and entirely to his leading and his direction. And so Paul intended to send Timothy if it was the Lord's will. But why Timothy? Why not Epaphroditus or some other co-worker of Paul? Well, that brings us to our second point. Having informed the Philippians his intention to send Timothy, Paul proceeds to explain his decision in verses 20 to 22. And first of all, he says he is like-minded. Verse 20, for I have no one like-minded, Paul writes. Now the Greek word here means of the same mind, of like soul. Paul here is expressing probably as a result of working so closely with each other for so many years, that he and Timothy were soulmates of each other. They were kindred spirits of each other. They shared the same outlook, the same perspectives. They handled things the same way. They were like two peas of the same pod. And this is precisely why Paul wanted to send Timothy. For as we've seen in previous sermons, there were some serious problems in the church at Philippi. There was disunity. There was persecution. There was false teaching. Oh, if ever the Philippians needed the Apostle Paul, it was now. But since Paul was not able to come, he sent someone who would faithfully represent him, who would say what he would say and do as he would do. And that person was Timothy. Another reason why Paul sent Timothy was because he was selflessly devoted to their spiritual welfare. Look at what Paul says in verse 20. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely, or we could say genuinely, care for or take an interest in your state. He's talking here about their spiritual state, their spiritual welfare. Now, the verb to care for here is a very strong verb. It's used again in chapter 4, verse 6. Only there, it's translated as anxious, where Paul writes, be anxious, meaning be careful, be full of care for nothing. Now, Paul knew that Timothy would be anxious about the spiritual well-being of the Philippians. He would be burdened for them like no one else. And that's why he decided to send him, because no one would care for them like he would. Now, to reinforce that, Paul goes on in verse 21 to say that all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now again, who's Paul talking about here? Well, we can't say for sure. Paul himself doesn't specify, but it's likely 
he's referring to some of his colleagues in Rome or elsewhere. Earlier in chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, Paul informed the Philippians that some of his colleagues in Rome preached Christ even from envy and strife and selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. Now these are probably the same people he's referring to here. They're men who seek their own and not the things that are of Christ Jesus. Now there have always been people like that in the church. And there are still people like that today. There are people in every church who are essentially selfish. Who seek their own and not the things that are of Christ. Their only concern is what's good for them rather than what is good for others. And even ministers can be guilty of this sin. You may remember the time when James and John came to Jesus privately and they asked him if they could sit one on his right hand and the other on his left when he came into his kingdom. You see what they were doing? They were seeking their own, but not Timothy. Timothy was a model servant of the Lord and a model church member. He was devoted to one thing and one thing only, and that was the well-being of the flock. And Paul knew this about him. And that's also another reason why he decided to send Timothy to Philippi. Because no one would seek to advance their spiritual interests more than he. A third reason why Paul sent Timothy was because he had a proven track record. Paul mentions this in verse 22. But you know his proven character, Paul writes, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. So Paul here observes that Timothy served, literally slaved with him, meaning in the service of or in the cause of or in the advancement of, the promotion of the gospel. In fact, he did so, he says, as a son with his father. Now, as I mentioned already, Paul often referred to Timothy in his writings as his son. Not his spiritual, his physical son, of course, but his spiritual son. And he does the same thing here. He calls Timothy his son, not his slave, but his son. And the idea is that they worked side by side for the same cause, with the same purpose. Just like a son might work together with his father in the family business. So Timothy worked alongside of the Apostle Paul. But in doing so, Timothy always knew his place. He was the son. Paul was the father. Paul was the leader. Timothy was his assistant. Nor did he ever resent that role. He never tried to be the father. He was content to be the son. He was content to be the assistant. What is more, throughout his whole time, he proved his character or his worth. The idea is that he had been tested and had passed the test with flying colors. And the Philippians, Paul says, knew this. They knew this. The Greek word here describes a knowledge that is not merely intellectual, but experiential. In other words, the Philippians knew by experience that Timothy was of proven worth. And that's because they had witnessed it themselves when he and Paul were at Philippi. And Paul here appeals to this knowledge 
to explain his decision to send Timothy to them. And to be sure, in making this decision, he had not forgotten that the one whom the Philippians really wanted to see was Paul himself. And that's why Paul writes in verse 24, But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So Paul here expresses his confidence, first expressed in chapter 1, verse 25 and 26, that soon he would be released. And when he was, he would come and see them. Now we learn a number of lessons from this. We learn, first of all, how older and younger ministers should relate to each other. Ecclesiastically, all ministers are equal. No minister is higher or more important or possesses more authority than another minister. But younger ministers should look up to and even show some deference to older ministers as a son looks up and shows deference to his father. And why is that? Well, because as a result of their years of experience, older ministers generally have more wisdom. They may not have as much knowledge, but they generally have more wisdom. They understand the churches. They understand people. They know what is for their spiritual well-being and what is not, what works and what doesn't work. They know what people need and what they don't need. Younger ministers need to understand that and appreciate that. Secondly, we learn from Timothy what kind of worker we should be in the church and the kingdom of Christ. In so many respects, Timothy is a model for us to follow. Earlier in this chapter, in chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, Paul holds up the Lord Jesus Christ as our ultimate model. He writes this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Christ was a model minister, but he was without sin. And as such, it may be hard for us to identify with him. But Timothy was not without sin. He was a sinful man like you and like me. And yet he was a model in self-sacrifice, dedication, and submission. He exemplified Philippians 2, 5-11 more than anyone. And it raises the question, what about you and what about me? I have to ask myself, am I that kind of minister? But you need to ask yourself, are you that kind of church member? We have so much to learn from Timothy. Oh, may the Lord so work in our hearts that we may become more and more like him, just as he was like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But why was Paul sending Timothy at all? What was the purpose for his coming? Well, it was so that he, Paul, might be encouraged. And that brings us to our third and final point. Paul decided to send Timothy to Philippi because he knew they needed his help. And as I've already mentioned, there was disunity in this congregation. They were being attacked by false teaching. They were also being persecuted. And they needed someone to lead them, to guide them, to advise them, to help them through this stormy time. But that's not the reason that Paul mentions in our text. 
Paul in our text says that the reason why he is sending Timothy is so that he might be encouraged. This is what he writes in verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Now the word encouraged here can also be translated as to be heartened, to be comforted, to be cheered up. Like anyone, Paul needed some encouragement now and then, especially now that he was in prison, facing possible death. This is exactly why he sent Timothy. Evidently, he intended to send Timothy to Philippi and then to return to Rome and to report to him how the congregation at Philippi was doing. And the fact that Paul expected to be encouraged implies that he expected the news to be good. Just as they would be encouraged to hear how Paul is doing, so Paul expected to be encouraged to hear how they were doing. Now again, we can learn a number of lessons from this. First of all, we learn here that ministers need encouragement. Yes, we all need encouragement. For there's so much in our lives that causes discouragement. But ministers need encouragement as well, as do all office bearers. For ministers are servants. They're called to serve the Lord and their congregations. And for the most part, they do this work gladly and joyfully. But from time to time, like in any field, in any occupation, the work of the ministry can be exhausting. It can even be frustrating and discouraging. And it's especially at such times that ministers need encouragement. Secondly, we learn here that members of the congregation should conduct themselves in such a way that they are a source of encouragement and not discouragement for their pastor. Paul expected to be encouraged by Timothy's report when he returned from Philippi. And so every minister of the gospel should expect to be encouraged, not discouraged by his congregation. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, the apostle writes, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So you notice here that it's possible for congregations to give their pastors grief. And what is it that grieves and discourages pastors? Let me just mention a few things. Complacency is one thing. Complacency, an unhealthy and unwarranted satisfaction with the way things are. And often that manifests itself in two areas. First of all, in how the church functions. When people are complacent, they're unwilling to change or even to consider changing the way things are done in the church. The attitude is, well, we've always done it this way, and so this is how we're always going to do it. Even if there's a better way, or even if circumstances demand that we do things differently, we're just going to stay the course. Complacency also manifests itself in people's personal spiritual lives. When people are complacent, they see no need for growth or improvement. They see no need for development, no need to grow in grace and holiness or knowledge, or to develop a deeper sense of communion with God 
or with their fellow believers. They're content to just coast along. They're satisfied with coming to church, even twice. But that's about it. And when they're challenged, they get angry. That, I submit to you, is discouraging. It's discouraging, especially for pastors. Why? Because pastors want to see their congregation grow. Not just numerically, although that's a great blessing, of course, but especially spiritually. They want to see their churches function effectively. And when there's resistance to that, pastors get discouraged. Secondly, what grieves pastors is disunity. Disunity prevents the church from fulfilling our mission, which is to proclaim the gospel. Disunity is also the antithesis of love, which is the glue that holds the church together. And when a church is not unified, and its members are bickering and arguing with each other, that can be very discouraging. Thirdly, what grieves pastors is worldliness. Pastors and all office bearers want their congregations to grow in holiness and sanctification. But when members of the congregation are worldly, when they act like the world, when they think like the world, when they adopt the world's perspectives and attitudes and priorities, when they dress like the world, when they watch the world's movies and TV shows and read the world's books and magazines, that's very discouraging. And I wonder if any of these things are true of you. Are you a source of encouragement or discouragement for your pastor and your office bearers? Oh, my friends, let us examine ourselves, and if necessary, let us repent and turn to the Lord. And so Paul announced the coming of Timothy. No doubt the congregation of Philippi was excited to receive this news. But let us never forget that one far greater than Timothy is coming to us. And he is everything that Timothy was, but much more besides. And I'm speaking here of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom Timothy points. If Timothy was like-minded with the Apostle Paul, that was only because Paul was like-minded with Christ. If Timothy was selfishly devoted to the spiritual welfare of the congregation at Philippi, Christ was more so, for he gave his life for them and for us. If Timothy had a proven track record, Christ more so. For he was without sin, and as such he completed all the work that his father had given him to do, and he did so perfectly, without flaw or defect. And one day he is coming again. He is coming. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. And when he does, he will cast unbelievers into hell, but he will take believers into heaven to live and reign with him forever. Like Timothy, he will report not to the Apostle Paul, but to his father. And he will tell him that he died for them. He washed away their sins in his blood and covered them in his righteousness so that they may stand before him and serve him to an everlasting eternity. And he will welcome them in his heavenly kingdom where they will live and reign with him forever. Are you looking forward to his coming 
Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.